This is The Balanced Dilemma. We tackle the often uniquely, but not always, female dilemma of managing life, work, family, and self. I'm Maura Carlin. And I'm Christy Derrico. We're reaching out to women and men to hear their balance stories, what worked, what didn't, and what takeaways they have to help improve our lives and achieve balance. Our guest is part of a two-career couple with two children. Stefan Kaczynski and his wife are both teachers in Westchester, which made us wonder, do two equal and identical careers give you balance? On top of that, Stefan is the first dad I knew to take paternity leave. So we're going to talk about that as well as pivots, since that's part of his story too. Stefan, thank you for joining us. Why don't we start with talking a little bit about your background? Where did you go to college, your first career, pivots after that? All right. So, uh, hello. And uh, I went to school at uh, Cornell. I graduated, and uh, I was uh, gung-ho to make a lot of money and get on Wall Street. And then there was the crash in 88. So uh, it turned my priorities around a little bit. Got it. So your pivot happened after the crash? Yes, pretty much. You know what? I was I was geared in a direction, but um, it might have been a good thing because I might have uh, my priorities might have told me to go for something that wasn't what was best for me. So, how, for how many years did you work on Wall Street? Well, it's about a year and a half, something like that. And did you immediately go into education, or did you think of other careers no, you wanted to try? No, I kept, no, because uh, Cornell has an industrial labor relations school, and I thought I would tap into that as well. So uh, I got into human resources, became a generalist, um, moved to Boston, and worked at a homeless shelter as a human generalist, human resources generalist, and... Uh, I really enjoyed that, but I felt like it wasn't giving me the push that I wanted to go. It had it was a huge company, it was a thousand beds and but I wanted to I wanted to get into the profit uh world. Got it. Interesting. And what 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 inspired you to go into the world of education? I'm not <laughs> I'm not sure it inspired me. I think we all have our own push and you gotta follow your gut and if I had a, a choice, I would have said, I'm just following what my instincts told me. But in my head, my head didn't tell me to go in this direction. So my heart did, and my father was a principal in Great Neck for 30 years, and uh, it seemed to follow. And once I got into education, I found my real niche, and I was like, wow, I really love this, and I can really push forward. Uh, and I could tap into other resources and still be my Wall Street person as well as an educator. Well, what do you mean by that? Did you do investing on the side? Is that what you mean by keeping no, your Wall Street? You know what? I, I, always, I always felt like, you know, I don't, want to, I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket. And I felt like, you know, after, after I saw the crash in 88, I was like, I'm going to... I'm going to want to make sure that I diversify in life, and uh, and you know that's that's what I want. So, you teach elementary school. That's a little unusual for men. <laughs> that was very unusual back then. I was yes. definitely at the school I was at. I was I was the only male, and uh, 
it, it was a little uncomfortable for me, but again, my heart was saying, keep going for that. And uh, at that time, I decided, okay, now I'm going to start doing businesses. So I started doing small businesses. I opened up summer camps. I did tutoring. I did. I kept going for it. You know, on paper, this may not be what what looks like the Ivy League um, progression. But what happened was, in comparing myself to my colleagues, you know, and all my friends, they were doing stuff where they were starting to get stuck. And I was doing stuff that I had the foundation of education where I loved, and then I could still try um, opening up these businesses. So I have a question, and I think this is something that many teachers are asked. What's your favorite grade? <laughs> well, um, it's hard because I started out in second and then went to fifth and then fourth and then second and then fourth. And now I think I might tap into going into middle school. So my feeling is, you know what, you have to build that foundation in a certain grade. And to do that, you need to be in a grade at least five years. But I always like change. So when they put me in fourth grade this year, I felt like, okay. Let me let me uh, let me try something new. I like that. So uh, no clear answer with that. <laughs> that was the political answer, and uh, I really feel that as long as I'm changing and learning new things, and that's what I'm not sure that the business world could do for me because I'm kind of my own boss as an educator. I like that. That's an interesting comment from a teacher. I don't think I've heard that from a teacher before, that you feel like your own boss. Yeah, I definitely feel like um, I can tap into the areas that I feel that the kids have their most needs. Interesting. In one of our first talks when I was asking you to join us on the show, you mentioned a TED Talk you were listening to, and I did listen to it. Um, <laughs> and what you were just saying sort of reminded me. It was the, something about the... Um, uh, thinking. Let me find. Let me find it in my notes. The uh, hidden power of not always fitting in. Yeah, which is the description of my life, and I'm not. I'm not ever sure that anybody knows it but me. But <laughs> when I entered uh, education, I really felt like in my head, my head was saying no because you know what? You earned your degree. You went to an Ivy League school. You got these top grades you know what, you should be doing more. But my heart was saying something else. And you know what, I thought, you know what, follow follow my dreams, follow where that's going. So there's one very interesting quality to your uh, your career path that really drew us to your story, When I, especially when I heard about you and I discussed you with Maura, and that's the fact that you were one of the first teachers that she met, and I also know of, that took paternity leave. Tell us about that. How long ago was that? That was 2007. Okay. Before the other crash in 2008. Right. Right. Well, your so, life is defined by crashes. <laughs> I like that, though, because the crash tells, gives you permission to start all over. Yes. So where it's scary for some people, for me, it was like, this gives me permission to do something that I want to do without the judgment of others. So I liked it. I liked that. Oh, you know what? My daughter was born in August. My wife could stay home for three, four months. Uh, She started getting nervous, and 
I tapped into the district and I was like, you know what, I really need to be there for my family. And did you get pushback? I don't think so. Not that I remember. I think I was so, you know, when you're so uh, goal orientated and you're so, you know what's right, you only see what's right. Um, I think that's that's the direction I was going. So I didn't feel that. So let me just ask you, I'm listening to the timeline. I think we all know the academic calendar starts in September, ends in June. So your wife uh, took off that fall, if I understand the timeline. And mm-hmm. when did you decide to take your leave in the academic calendar? Okay, so uh, she took off in the fall and then in uh, uh, January. Uh, January of 2008, I took off for four months. So that really presents so many issues when a teacher has to take a break from the classroom. Like, that was a real decision. It wasn't like you just said, you know what, I'm going to be off next year and I'll see you again the the next academic year. That was a real, uh, there could have been real impacts. Did you feel that there were any consequences in your career path that you immediately felt thereafter I understand you might look back on it differently now but in that time frame when you returned or when you made the decision did you have any we'll return after this break to discuss that question and Stefan we're back before we took our break, we were talking about any consequences you might have uh, come into as a result of making this decision mid-year in the school year, uh, the decision for your family to take paternity leave. I think uh, the consequences were more in my head. I was never really secure, totally secure that this was the right thing to do. You know, you're a little nervous being out there and being a male in an all-female world, I know that more eyes are on me, which is hard sometimes to duck your head. And uh, and uh, so did that's have, tough. Did you have tenure at the time? I had tenure, but it, you know what? In my mind, that doesn't matter because I'm my worst enemy. So, <laughs> um, you know, so I'm... I'm I'm really nervous. You know, I feel everybody's looking at me. I'm the guy, you know, and... Uh, Did anyone say anything to you or were the talk behind your back that you thought was going on? Not, not, that, I, not that I remember. I felt like I got uh, support from, full support from the district, and I felt like the parents, uh, in communicating with the parents, they, they were full on. But uh, I never felt that resistance. Again, the most resistance was in my head and saying, is this the right thing? Am I going in the right direction? So this is so interesting. Most of the time we're discussing how women feel that they're treated, and now you're showing us an example where the roles were reversed, oh. and you admit oh, it might I be I constantly, <laughs> oh, I constantly feel. I'm, being a guy in the women's world, quote, women's world, I feel like... Um, I feel like uh, when I walk into a meeting or wherever I go, I feel like, you know, the eyes are more on me. So I, I become more and more introverted. So you feel like teaching is a woman's world, I even feel, though your father was a principal and was an educator. <laughs> I, I feel like, uh, no, uh, in elementary schools. So in let me clarify, okay. uh, in elementary schools. But I think, it's, I think that uh, it was tough. I think it was tough, and I felt like as long as, again, as long as I diversify, so I got my businesses, I'm tutoring, I'm doing all this. So 
anything fail, I'm tapping into several things at once. But you did it again for your second child, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. I did it again for my second child because I knew I didn't want to be. I, you know, I didn't want to be one of my friends that said time goes so quickly. I don't think time goes so quickly because I want to make sure I am there with my girls. My father just he turned eighty, and he said to me, "He's like Steph, listen, I'm eighty years old, and I have nothing more to save for." And I was like. <gasps> That's great because now I know, you know what? No matter what happens as I get older, I have plenty of time to save for any of these things. So I have a logistical question. So you took the leave. Did that mean your wife went back into the classroom? She went back into the classroom, and I transitioned my daughter Zoe into uh, daycare slowly. So that way, when my wife came back, my daughter was in daycare. And, and it was an easy transition. And another and an question, you have these little children uh, looking at you. How did they, th- what did they think about this decision for you to take leave? Did anyone, did you have any discussions with the students about it? Um, I got to tell you, I think, I, I really feel uh, kids are a lot more resilient than we think. I, you know what? I'm kind to my kids. My kids know me. I'm fair to them. We trust each other. I'm very honest with them. I'm very forthright. And uh, they had a lot of questions for me. And even like, to this but you're day. you're not pregnant? <laughs> <laughs> but even, even to this day, it's weird because one of the girls said to me, she's like, I love COVID because my father's home more. Oh. And I'm like, whoa. Well, that was actually my next question. Whoa. And I'm like, this, I know this from a girl who, her, this is a high-profile family but me saying anything to that family is not appropriate. But on the other hand, it's like, well, I wonder if it would click with the father if I said something to him and I was like, listen, do you know that your daughter just mentioned to the whole class that her favorite part of COVID is having her father around? So what do you think, if anything, has been the long-term effect on your relationship with your girls? Um, what was the real b- benefit long-term? I think, you know what, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I still deal with the struggle with it because, you know what, now my girls are home and they're unsupervised during COVID and they're a sixth grader and an eighth grader. My wife is at work. So I'm struggling. How much do I stay home? How much do I work? You know, I just stopped tutoring because I'm ready for my next challenge. So, but again, I don't want to take any of this for granted. With an eighth grader, I know four more years. And I know that I'm going to be there as much as I can. But in terms of paternity leave, did it affect your relationship with the children? I think so. I think so. You know, I remember being at the uh, daycare center and having Zoe in between my legs and her sitting on me. And she's less than one years old and me just being with her. And uh, and I feel that bond is always there. You know what? Uh, I feel that, you know what, it is the right decision. So we've done some research on this, and it seems to come down to three reasons that men don't often take paternity leave. <laughs> First, it's not offered by their employer. Yeah. Or even if it is offered by the employer, it's not fully or near, near fully paid. Mm-hmm. And there's a fear of stigma. And I've got some statistics here. Alexis Sahanian, who's the founder of Reddit, but is perhaps better known as tennis great Serena Williams' husband, mm-hmm. 
He wrote in 2019 about paternity leave, citing statistics that only 9% of companies offer it to dads and 76% of fathers are back to work within one week. And I can say that was certainly true in my house. But another reason, he says, is that the men don't do it is, in fact, the stigma. Um, and another study by the New America Think Tank says those are exact reasons. It's not paid and the income is needed. Um, so, so we've discussed students, coworkers. What did your family think? Uh, my my wife was thrilled because it, it was it was very stressful for her that she had to go back to work knowing that her babies her babies at home her firstborn is at home. So we talked about it, but it wasn't a long talk. We kind of had that agreement almost that she knew I would be there for her. Um, and I was in administration at one point, and I decided to get out of administration for that very reason. Now, do you think you inspired other men you know to make this decision? I don't, I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know. I try to talk to as many people as I can in knowing that to make sure you follow what you want and knowing that now, hey, I'm 54 years old and I'm finding that my friends that are in a world that they were in just for money, they're kind of stuck. And we're going to take another break and continue our discussion. This is The Balanced Dilemma. We're talking with Stefan Kaczynski, a Westchester teacher, about paternity leave. Stefan, I'm curious, since you've done it, have you seen any other male teachers or many of them take paternity leave? Uh, no, I have not. No, I have not. Maybe that's why I'm still always unsure of where my priorities are with school versus being at home, things like that. I, you know, I always want to make sure I talk to people and do that, but I am not familiar with people. Um, is that still a stigma question in your mind? It's a stigma issue? Like maybe I, there is? and <laughs> I don't think so. I think as, as uh, men get older, I think the idea of getting together with the boys for a boys' weekend or going away with the boy, I think that's, that, that's pretty much faded away once we hit our <laughs> 40s and 50s. So that's, you know what, I, I really, everybody that I know uh, with men, their, their priorities pretty much with their family. And if they had choices, they would stick with their family. You know, I, I could just give as an example, my son had a guidance counselor. And in fact, this guidance counselor was helpful, not just with my son, but one of my, my daughter as well. And he took leave. And I can report to you the way that it was handled by the administration was very matter of fact. We were given notice. Everyone prepared. There was almost like a building excitement, just similar to when uh, a woman is about to have a baby. We waited till the day came. He took his time off. He came back in. It was seamless. And we discussed the experience, my son and I, and my son talks about family a lot. So I thought it was a very positive thing, and I found that the administration handled it well. I think that's so important because even now I talk to the kids in my classroom, and I'm like, you guys need to know that if somebody gets sick at my house or if something happens, you need to know that if I am absent that I'm one of the people that are responsible. So Karen and I, my wife and I, are uh, do take turns when our kids are sick. 
Well, that's interesting. This brings up, um, you know, I, I get the feeling, and I'm sure it's true, that the fact that you are an organized, um, you know, strong educator, that only makes it easier. Uh, it's not like you're leaving, um, you know, uh, a mess in your midst. I'm sure you had your lessons plan, lesson plans together, and it's almost like a job-sharing issue. But this brings up a question I had for you. You have a unique experience and background in that you worked in the public sector and you worked in the private sector. So do you think you would have had this opportunity if you had stayed in the public sector, in the private sector, working on Wall Street? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I know that if I worked in the private sector, I wouldn't have been nearly as far in life as I am now. <laughs> I, I just know that in following my heart with education, I was able to implement my business skills, my idea of numbers outside of education. So um, in, in creating camps and tutoring and doing creating these small businesses, I really tapped into the areas that I needed to uh, fulfill myself. You used an interesting phrase, foreign life. What does that mean to you? I think, you know what, foreign life is you sitting back and you saying to yourself, uh, am I good? <laughs> am I, did things work out the way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'm, you know what, I don't want to be, I could look out my window and, you know, the other day I was looking, I was in my backyard and I looked at my two cars and I have an antique car and I have a great house and a wife and I was like, I have to keep reminding myself that this is, this is, this is great. This is great, but I still, I still want to keep going, and I think that's the answer. And keep going. Is it what you would have imagined your life would to be? I never imagined it. I never imagined it because I always felt like I'm doing something for today, and I just I have to be ready for that next step. So I never imagined a house. I remember I met my wife. She was a student teacher at my school, and she walked down the hallway, and I was like. <gasps> Oh my gosh, I'm going to marry her. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I know how that's so cliche. Really? She walked down the hall. And I'm like, wow, she's the most beautiful woman. And I used to take my class whenever we used to go to specials. It was just like, Mr. Krasinski, this is not the right way. But I had to keep <laughs> passing by her. I had to keep by, passing by her classroom because I was so enamored by her. And you know what? Since then, uh, I was saying some, something to a neighbor the other day. I was like, I think the answer is being with the right person. That's that's the answer in life. That's the only answer, I think. Well, that actually is a great segue into the next segment, which is turning to how you and your wife made your family work. I mean, you're both teachers, and so I guess I, in part, have this image or fantasy with that, with two equal or similar careers with similar hours and similar demands, finding balance might be easier. Um, now, according to the research we've done, that's not necessarily the case, um, but I, we'd love to hear your view. But many experts have advised to have a long-range plan, or at least what they would call a long view. Um, a Harvard Business Review article talked about how they, you know, the couple actually sat down and they agreed that he'd pursue a corporate job and she'd step back and work on finding a business to launch. And then when it was time for her to launch, he would step back to allow her to do that. Um, or an agreement that, you know, for these years, uh, one person will be the one going out into the world, and, the, and then they'll switch it. 
Did you and Karen have any kind of agreement about how you were going to work the family and the career? You know what? We're, we're constantly talking about that. And in fact, right now, we're starting to talk about what my next move will be. And she's talking about what she wants to do. And we'll be finishing our mortgage this year after 13 years. And I feel like, you know what? If I was in the private sector, I'm not sure... I'm not sure if I would have gone this far. I've been able to go this far, I think, because I've been with the right person who knows what our goals are financially, that knows what our goals are with family, and, uh, yeah, and doesn't feel cheated with that. You know, feels like, okay, this is, we're doing the right thing, and we feel good about it. Well, Maura might be making an unfair, um, unfairly putting the spotlight on you with the same careers because, quite honestly, Maura and I also share the same career with our spouses. No, I don't. Uh, well, not presently. <laughs> no, 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 no. I did, never did. He wasn't oh, a lawyer. I thought he was. That's right. So he's in finance. Sorry, both, both in a, a business sector. But for us, we're both lawyers. So let me ask you this. Um, how does the day work in the morning? You both have to get to school at the same time. The kids have to get out and get. How does that work for two people sharing the same career? I'm up at 5.30 every morning. I don't want to feel sorry for myself at all that I'm being cheated of the day. So I'm up at 5.30 doing my meditation. I'm working on myself. Therefore, by the time I'm doing lunches and other things like that, I'm not feeling cheated. So I feel like a lot of the guys that I talk to feel selfish of their time. And um, they're always saying, oh, how do you get time? Um, you know, you need to wake up earlier. You need to make sure you make time for yourself so you can make time for other people. And therefore, when I am with my girls, I'm 100% with them. So when I wake up in the morning after I meditate and work out, you know, where uh, my wife comes down, you know, I have coffee ready for her and we're making lunches and we get them ready and I'm off to school and then I'm the first one back home. And again, being the first one back home, I'm okay with it because already I've woken up early enough, woken up early enough that I'm feeling like, okay, now this is, even though I'm doing stuff for them, it's also for me. Was there a set division of home responsibilities between you and your wife? I think so. I think that was probably the hardest thing. I think the hardest thing for guys that I know is being second in command. And I'll tell you why. When they're babies, the kids just want their mommies. And being just with their mommies, it's hard to know. So I'm always standing by and I'm like, now what? Now what? And I think that's very hard because you want to help out more. You want to do more. And we're so used to being type A like I am. I, I want to make sure I'm achieving or doing something. But the kids want feel, mommy. Did you feel left out? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. Hold the thought. Yeah. We'll be back and continue our discussion. Right. This is The Balanced Dilemma. Working nine to Balance Dilemma, we are discussing the division of labor in the home with Stefan Kaczynski, a dad and a teacher, and so much more. We were, you had just hit on something about what you do when the kids want mommy. And, and you know, let's say you are the one when they're babies to get up in the middle of the night and go in, but then they still want mommy. How'd you handle that? I think that's pretty much the hardest thing. I think that's the hardest thing for guys. That I know that, uh, you know, uh, mom wakes up in the middle of the night and needs to soothe the child. You get up too, but they want mommy. Mommy's holding the baby and you're just standing there. 
then it happens again. I mean, but they want mommy, so uh, I, I don't know. I think that was a very difficult time for me because I was like, okay, I'm trying to give and trying to do these things, but there's only so much if the, uh, the babies or the kids only want mommy. <laughs> to this day, you know, at, when they go to bed at night, you know, um, they want to be put down by mommy, and I have to put my pride away and say, you know what, it's not about me. And uh, and th that's a hard thing because, you know, there's still ways I need to, you know, step back and look at myself with that. But maybe being the male role model in their life is enough that way. I think so. You know, every once in a while my wife will remind me of that and say, you know, I do know this, though. I do know this. In looking at me and looking at my wife and myself, I know that there is a high chance that my girls will pick a relationship based on what they see as my wife and I. So if I can model that, maybe that's good enough. Maybe that's, maybe that's a pretty good thing. So you've now had 12, 13 years of parenting under your belt, uh, as well as running a household. So I want to get into some of the nitty-gritty. Who makes the appointments, the doctor's appointments and stuff like that for the kids? I would say I would say she would ninety nine percent she would. And whether there's a problem at school or somewhere else, which one of you do they call? They they call Karen, but you know I'm pretty much I'm pretty much the backup. So this is interesting. This brings us to we were discussing a and I, and I like that and I like that too. Which now. that she's the one called or that you're the well now it's more it's more tangible. You you know when they're babies you really don't know what you're supposed to do. So these guys walking around with their baby strollers and all that, they're trying to do what they're supposed to and they're on their phone. They're trying, but you know what they're so in that limbo and I don't know if that's always addressed in relationships. I know with many of my guy friends it's like. They come off this machismo and all that, and you know what? Then they're with their kids, and they're like, okay, what do I do? More? What can I do tangibly more? But let me, let me wind back the clock. I bet today the learning curve you've gone through it has brought you so far compared to when you started. So I, I, I think uh, one time my father-in-law came to visit us in the hospital with one of the children, and he took the baby and wrapped them in a papoose like you can't believe. Bing, bang, boom, done. I said, goodness, how did he do that? And he looked at us and said, well, I've had eight of these. So yeah. I would imagine your learning curve, you're a different father today than you were when that first day your wife stepped out the door and left you there. Yeah, because you know what? I really, I want to. I want to do, you know, do I always do the right things? No. And do I get upset? Yes. But, you know, and it's frustrating at times, but I, I want to. And as long as she knows that I want to, I, you know, and that's the most important thing. And, you know, the communication between the two of us. If she could say, if she could say more, I need, that's most important. I need you. And that's what I'm telling her. Tell me you need me and I'm there. Interesting. So we've touched upon other resources. You recommended a TED Talk. We exchanged books. I listened to a uh, discussion, Hello Monday, by Jesse Hempel. It's a podca podcast, and she had a guest, Carol Fishman-Cohen. 
uh, Carol, of course, brought in one of the authors who we've talked about many times on this show, and that's Anne-Marie Slaughter, who wrote the book Unfinished Business, who presented the theory of this lead parent that we've been discussing. And the lead parent is defined as the person who does the things like make the doctor's appointments and so forth. And the evidence has shown that the division of labor seems to fall disproportionately on the wife who bears this position of lead parent and is often not the breadwinner. The problem that happens is that when women opt out of the workforce, take a leave, due to the way society defines uh, or correlates work with self-worth, when you don't have work, there can be a diminished sense of self. It doesn't appear that when you took away the work component that you had a diminished sense of self. It sounds like you actually grew in other faculties due to that experience. Would that be a fair characterization? Yes, because I knew I wanted to do, there was other things I wanted to do. You know, I'm in my workshop. I'm creating art. I'm, I'm doing enough stuff that keeps me as a well-rounded person. It's weird because I'm reading A Promised uh, Land now with, uh, with uh, Obama, you mm-hmm. know, and, uh, and it, you know, he talks about being away from his kids and... I was like, wow, can a true leader be a true father? Yeah. I, What's I the answer? That's a great, I, question. I a great question. I, I don't know. Was Martin Luther King Jr. a good father? I don't know. I don't know. But I'm saying at one point you got to make that decision. And at one point you have to say, is the partner I'm marrying, is the, are you both aware of, <laughs> aware of that as well? So I, I don't know the answer. Well, another component to the discussion is that they can actually calculate, and it's usually women who take leave from the workforce, but they can calculate the financial impact that the family and the woman suffers from taking a a leave from their position. It sounds like that opportunity resulted in growth for you that, I mean, I'm hearing success. I'm hearing that you grew from that experience and it gave you the opportunity to think of other ideas and how you'd like to, uh, f- you know, carve out your life going forward. Is that is that true? I don't I feel like, you know what, there's so many guys out there that uh, they're giving it all in their 20s and 30s, and then they get to their 40s, and they start petering out a little bit in their 50s, and they're petering out a little bit more. I'm, you know what, just keep going. I feel like, you know what, just because I'm making three quarters of what I made doesn't make doesn't is not halting my progress does it feel a little uncomfortable it feels very uncomfortable (laughs) does it feel a little weird that i'm halting that it feels very uncomfortable but it kind of drives me more saying you know what i'm gonna make sure i'm gonna make sure i'm gonna do what i have to do to get to that next stage so right now you know what i finished my mortgage you know what after i retire i'm i'm ready to move on i don't you know that's a very interesting concept was somebody who stepped out of the legal world and obviously took an enormous cut in pay um you know i was struck by how much it turned out i was measured by what i made and it's very uncomfortable and when you're saying that men feel the same way oh even even more so even more so because men are Men are what you look like, what you have. You know, guys get together. What you look like? Yeah, what you look like, what you have, what you... You know, guys get together in their 20s and 30s, and they're measuring you by what you have, what car you're driving, what you're... 
you know, hey, listen, we went to Southampton last week. Sorry, the audience. <laughs> we went to Southampton last week, and we were looking for places to rent for the summer, and everyone's driving a black Land Rover and a black Porsche. And I said to my daughter, I said, you know what? It would bother me less if somebody was driving a Lamborghini. Because I was like, you know what? Where's the individuality with all this? <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I really meant it. And I said, I really think it's so important. At what stage do you say, you know what? It's, it's okay to be me, you know? Well, I'm just drawing from some things you've mentioned here today. You, you engage in meditation? Yes. And um, it sounds like you do a lot of things towards self-betterment, self-education. You listen to TED Talks. You exercise. How much of that has been part of this internal fortitude that you've had in making these very unique choices and carving out a family that is your own prototype? It's everything. It keeps me young physically. It keeps me young emotionally. I feel like I'm, st I'm still going. I'm ready. I'm ready for the next move. I, uh, and it helps me so much because I'm such a sensitive person that I take people's feedback so earnestly, and I'm very sensitive about that. So even though I say gung-ho, you know, if, if I hear a comment or something, I'm very sensitive to how other people feel about me. So you know what? I'm trying constantly to up myself. And I think that I think you could only up yourself so much in a job. And maybe that's what I said with the comment, with the with having everybody having a black Land Rover. I'm saying, you know what? Okay, now you're out, up there. You want to be up there. But you know what? That's not good enough because everybody else has that same thing. It's like living in Greenwich Village and having a mohawk. Well, if everybody else has a mohawk, you're not an individual. Right. So can do you think you can have it all? I mean, it's usually a concept we talk about women, whether you can have it all, but it really applies to all of us. Do you think you can have it all and all at the same time? Um, I, you know what? Having it all, right now I feel like I have it all because I have my health. Right now I feel like I have it all because my family has their health. Um, I have a job. I have a foundation. Um, so all I know is for right now. I don't think I could always have it, you know. I, I, I always want more. And maybe my parents that are in their 90s, the reason why they're in their 90s is because you always want more. So I try to always surround myself with people that always want to keep that, going. Keep going. I love it. Join us uh, on social media. Search for The Balanced Dilemma Podcast and on Facebook and on LinkedIn. Thank you, Stefan Kaczynski, for joining us. I'm Maura Carlin. And I'm Christy Derrico. Thank you, Stefan. It was a pleasure to meet you. Yeah, they got you when I want you.